Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, the life and faith intersect. Join us for this Sunday's service as we look into the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church this morning. Thank you for being here as we continue our series this morning entitled Stressed. Uh, We've been uh, building the beginning of these uh, uh, weeks with uh, some guests that are joining me. Uh, We've been looking at some different aspects of stress and the way that it impacts us and affects us. Uh, We've taken a look at stress from a physiological standpoint. We've looked at it from a a psychological standpoint. This morning I'm joined by a friend of mine, a friend of Grace Crossing Churches here, uh, uh, Roger uh, Messina. And Roger is going to help us take a look at the impact that stress has on us uh, from a nutritional and a a kind of a health standpoint. Uh, How many of you in this auditorium, like me, would admit that you are stress eaters? Let me see your hands. Be honest. Okay. How many of you are stress dieters? You don't eat when you get under stress. Well, it's kind of a nice breakdown here. My wife and I are definitely opposites when uh, I get under stress. Um, you know, food's kind of my narcotic. It's kind of one of the things that I will go to, to kind of uh, anesthetize the pain that I'm feeling and the stress that I'm undergoing. My wife is completely opposite. And so it's a good marriage, you know, because she doesn't eat and then I do. So it's, it actually really helps things out. But, um, but I think we know that, that too much eating is not good for us and not enough food is equally not good for us. And, uh, Roger, I think, I think it's safe to say, and a lot of people here know you as kind of Grace Crossing Church's health and fitness guru, but what they don't know is your backstory. A lot of people aren't familiar with your story that's led you to where you are today. And um, I think it's safe to say that you struggled and maybe still struggle with stress eating. Um, and tell us a little bit about your story and kind of, uh, man, as, as things began to, the wheels began to come off in your life and what that meant to you. And, and uh, tell us just a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Um... My story kind of begins when I was even just a little kid. You know, I was um, in elementary school. I was the little boy who had to look for the husky pants. You know, I don't know why they named it husky, but uh, maybe that sounded like a cool thing for little fat kids to wear. But, um, you know, <laughs> that's kind of where it started, you know. And and um, I really love food, and I I went with it, and it made me feel good, you know. So I carried that on into my teens and 20s. and as I'm growing up. Um, and then when, when I had tough times in my life, I kind of thought, and this isn't something that I thought about maybe as I was doing it, but it was more kind of, you know, now I'm looking at it hindsight, you know. As I struggled with things, I would grab some food and make me feel better, and that would be like the short-term, you know, satisfaction, you know, like your narcotics or whatever drug that you may have. Um, and I just took that with me, you know, whether, whether it was just the feeling that I had thinking about whether I could sit in a lawn chair at somebody's house and being uncomfortable with that or um, the struggle with wondering if I could fit into a roller coaster or going out to eat and being able to sit in a, um, a bench at a restaurant. You know, um, I got to a point when I was 31 years old, I was 320 pounds. Um, you know, borderline diabetic, um, that's me there, circa 2006, um, high blood pressure meds, I mean, the whole deal. And it came to a point where I was going through some things. My dad had actually just passed away. Uh, he was diabetic, uh, had some heart problems, 
And, you know, normally I would take that and I would say, well, you know, what can make me feel better? You know, I like to eat. Let me eat away my problems. Well, that isn't the best thing that you can do. You know, we, it might feel good at the time, but after that, you always feel terrible. Um, soon after that, I was actually uh, struggling with uh, my first marriage and uh, found out that my ex-wife was um, cheating on me. So that was another thing. You know, we were talking about that stress graph and, and um, you know, I was here, dad died, I was here, going through divorce, um, a lot of things going on, you know, couldn't have kids, just was not happy. I, I put on that smile, you know, everybody, actually somebody in the first service noticed, they said, that doesn't look like you, but if I look at your smile, I can tell that's really you. Um, but we don't always feel how we appear on the outside. And, um, you know, that was one of the ways that I covered what was going on. So, um, after that, I came to a point where I had to do something about it. You know, I, I made the decision that God had a better plan for me than to just eat away my troubles. Um, there was something more to my life than what I was doing. You know, I, I wasn't really serving. I was, you know... Uh, what I thought was a Christian, um, but I didn't have that relationship with Jesus at the time. And uh, my good friend Benji, you probably know him here at the church, had invited me to Grace Crossing and um, really kickstart this big life change journey. You know, I I uh, I made a lot of life transforming decisions to change my life around, and uh, it's been a whirlwind ever since. So. Yeah. Um, you know, started to put my energy into, instead of feeling sorry for myself, I put it into eating better, into exercise, into tapping into support to help me, you know, make a change. So, um, you know, I thank God for that. Yeah, what I love about um, Roger's story, and I hope you've heard it in what he's already said, but what I love is Roger doesn't say this is a past struggle. You know, he admits that he still struggles in this area of his life all the time. And I think what you've learned to do is you've learned to take um, some of that energy, as you've mentioned, and you've converted it and transformed it into something not only for your own personal life, but we started here Regeneration at Grace Crossing Church. That's now happening in several places throughout our community. That's kind of, uh, you know, reproduced itself. Um, and, And you have learned, Roger, and I think what I love about your life now and what you're doing is that you're helping people see the value of dealing with their stress by, you know, good nutrition and exercise. Talk about the impact and the difference that can make on how we manage and how we handle our stress. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, life is so much different now. You don't, you don't feel how bad you feel until you feel good. Hmm. You know, if, if you're sitting in a place and you're like, oh, I feel good, I eat my chicken wings every day, and, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with how I feel, you don't really realize what that's like until you're feeding your body well, until you're exercising and, and you're relieving that stress. You know, you can go out and go for a run or whatever your favorite workout is, P90X. Um, um, you know, whatever that is, your body just produces endorphins and gets you feeling good and you, your processes are working the way that they're supposed to when your body is fed what they're 
you know, what it's supposed to get. And um, it just makes the world of difference. Um, you know, stress can cause so many different medical problems that can be released by exercise and by proper nutrition. And, um, you know, if you need any help with that, I'd be glad to talk to you. We have the Regen on Wednesday nights, plug, 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, we would love to have you. We just, you know, everybody's welcome, all fitness levels. You don't have to be, you know, super athletic to work out. You know, everybody comes and just has a good time. And uh, we just have a great group that's there to encourage everybody. I remember seeing Roger. Uh, we live in the same community, and I would see him walking his dog, and we'd be walking our dog, and we'd say hi to each other every so often. And then when he finally started connecting to Grace Crossing Church and we had a chance to really kind of build relationship, uh, it's been really exciting to watch the transformation. And I think, I don't think it's an overused term. It's been a total transformation for you, really. You, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally and even relationally. Let's fast forward to right now today. Tell us just about your life and uh, about, oh, about what God's done in your life. And it's a good day for you to make an introduction here. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm very proud to introduce our brand new daughter, Carrie Ann Messina. Um, she was born on the 7th. And uh, mom and, and baby and big sister are doing very well right now. Um, it's just been a life change. You know, there's always been struggles. There's always going to be struggles. Um, but God is what brought me through this. And, you know, he gave me the energy to get up and work out. He gave me the wisdom to seek people to talk to about nutrition and, and um, to depend on. You know, I really believe that it, it's fitness and, and nutrition. And then the third thing that a lot of people skip out on is support. And, um, you know, that's huge. That's really huge. Yeah. We, uh, we, you know, continue to go through some struggles. My mom actually passed away after all this was happening. And then last year I lost my job. Um, I was an engineer for GE. And it really was, I think, a sign to kick me out of, out of what I was doing and to pursue what I was doing part-time, which was the coaching with Beachbody to help other people uh, achieve their goals. So um, it's just been, just been incredible, incredible. And I'd, uh, I'd love to help anybody that's looking for help. So. That's good. Thank you, Roger. Can we express appreciation to uh, Roger for sharing today with us? Thank you, man, so much. Well, this morning I want to speak on another huge stressor in all of our lives, and today's topic is strained relationships. Now, while many of us here in this auditorium are really looking forward to the holiday and the Thanksgiving holiday this week, and we're looking forward to being with extended family, there are no doubt some of you that are dreading this week because it's going to force you to face a strained relationship. There are others of us in this auditorium today that uh, are experiencing strained relationships uh, with neighbors, uh, perhaps with co-workers. Maybe there's a really, really good friend that you have, and things have just gone south in your relationship with that individual, and you're feeling some stress in that relationship. For others in this auditorium, your stress is more immediate. You know, you're feeling stress with your immediate family. Perhaps the tension and the stress that you're feeling is coming from a relationship uh, as a child to a parent, or maybe you're feeling that strained relationship as a parent with your child. And I think regardless of, of what kind of strained relationships that we have, there's no doubt in my mind that every one of us have gone through them, 
are going through them or will go through them. And they are huge stress creators for all of us. Now let me say this on the front end of this morning's talk. Because we live in an imperfect world, our relationships from time to time are going to become strained. It's unavoidable. Now, I, I, I know that for you, that doesn't make it easier, but I hope that it makes it a little less personal. I hope that you don't just feel like, well, it's because of me that I'm going through strained relationships. I think we all go through them from time to time because we live in a world that is imperfect. You know, sometimes we are hurt because of injury, because of an accident, but many times and more times than not, we are hurt because of our relationships with another human being. And don't get me wrong, the greatest source of joy, the greatest source of blessing in our life is our relationships. But there's no doubt in my mind that it also can become the greatest source of stress that we face. And so what we've got to do is we've got to learn how to respond appropriately when we're going through the stress of strained relationships. I think many times when we feel the strain in our relationships and we get hurt because of a relationship, we kind of have a tendency to respond in a number of ways. Some of us here are people that ignore it. We quite honestly think that if we just minimize it, if we just forget about it, if we just try to act like it's not there, that somehow it will go away. And what convinces us of this is we, I think erroneously many times, think that, that time heals all wounds. I, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe time in and of itself really can heal anything. Uh, I, I think it might make it a little different in the way you look at it, but I think giving things time uh, isn't always the best thing to do, and time does not heal every single wound. In fact, I think sometimes procrastination can make a major problem or a minor problem a much more major problem. Listen to Psalm 39, verses 1 through 3. I told myself I'll be careful not to sin by what I say. And I'll muzzle my mouth. I'll keep completely silent, but it did no good. And I hurt even worse. I felt a fire burning inside of me. And the more I thought, the more that it burned. Some of us have felt this way. We have felt like I shouldn't say anything because if I do, I may say the wrong thing. And so we, we just simply ignore the strain and the stress that we feel in our relationships. I think for others of us, our response and our coping mechanism is that we run from it. When we feel strained in relationships and we feel hurt by another individual, what we do is we run. It's not a coincidence that the doors in public buildings swing outward. Listen, when you are in a panic state, you want to get out as quickly and get as far away from the situation as you possibly can. Isn't that human nature? Isn't that what we all feel is a sense that, listen, I want to get away from this. I want to run from this problem. I want to escape it. You know, interestingly, David felt that very same thing. In Psalm 55, here's what it says. My heart is in pain within me. And I say, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would go far away. I would live in a desert. I would hurry to my safe place far 
from this wild storm of hatred. I think a lot of us have what I would call a safe place. A place that becomes an escape for us. A way for us to get away. For some of us, it's social media. And we, we revert to social media as our escape. For others of us, it might be food. It might be drugs or alcohol. It could be an illicit relationship. It could be pornography. There, there are all sorts of escape mechanisms that we go to to get away from the stress and the strain in our relationships. But listen to what I'm about to say. At the end of the day, when you turn back and you come back to reality, the problems will still be there. They will not disappear simply because you escape. I think for some of us, our response and our coping mechanism is we cover it. In other words, we've become very good at masking and camouflaging the stress and the strain in our relationships and the hurt that comes from it. For some people, they wear a wonderful smile. And that wonderful smile becomes a real cover-up to the deep brokenness they're feeling inside of their hearts. For other people, they actually escape and they, they cover it by running to their jobs or to possessions. And if I acquire enough things, it somehow can anesthetize me and make me feel less of the stress that I'm feeling and the strain in that relationship. Psalm 32. When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside. I moaned all day long. Here at Grace Crossing Church, we value a culture of openness and honesty and transparency and acceptance. That's the reason we love stories so much. Because when somebody comes and they tell their story like Roger did today, I think it does a couple of things. One, I think it is in, in completely freeing for that individual. I think it allows them to go ahead and face who they were, not who they are, but who they were. And they look forward to the thing they're becoming. But I think there's something more profound about stories. And I think it happens to the listeners. Because when we hear a story and it connects with our story and what we're going through, what does it do to us? I, I think it all of a sudden lets us know we're not alone. We're not the only ones who struggle. We're not the only ones that have had pain in that area of our life. That's why here's what the Bible says in James. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Confession is the starting point to healing. And if we're going to realize the healing that God wants to bring, it comes by doing what the Bible says here, by confessing and by being honest about it. I think that's important. So for you today, you may not ignore it when you struggle, when you have strain in your relationships, when there's hurt. You may not run from it. And you may not try to cover it. You might do something that actually is much more dangerous. It's much more debilitating to our lives. For some of us, we resent it. And we allow that resentment to begin creating inside of us bitterness. I think there are a lot of people that I've met in my years of pastoral ministry who are so bound up within them because of something that happened so long ago 
That they just simply can't let it go. And that resentment continues to perpetuate the hurt that they feel inside of them. They, every time we replay a hurt, and every time we replay strained relationships, you know what they do? They just simply grow bigger and bigger and bigger. They become more difficult. And you know why we justify that we feel resentment and we feel bitter? We justify it because we think somehow it's getting even at that other person. Do you know that bitterness and resentment does nothing to anybody else? The only person who it affects is you. It's exactly what Job says. Job chapter 18, verse 4. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. Resentment and bitterness is one of the most self-defeating attitudes that you can have as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's self-defeating. It'll take your spiritual legs right out from under you. You say, why? How does it work? Well, listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. Peace and holiness, by the way, go hand in hand. Look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble who? You. See to it that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch what bitterness does. Bitterness allows the hurts of the past to control your present. And bitterness allows a person that hurt you yesterday to keep hurting you today. Because every time we relive it, and every time we recycle it in our hearts and our minds, and every time we think, that person did this to me, and I simply feel that strain every day, we are not damaging anybody else, but we are hugely damaging ourselves. I mean, let's be honest. When you are hurt, what's our first tendency? Simple. To hurt back. When we're hurt, what we want to do is we want to make another person pay the price for the damage that was done to us. I picked up the June 16, 2012 edition of the USA Today. And in it was a remarkable story that I saw the title of the story and it caught my attention. And uh, so I read it. And here's, here was the title of the story in the June 16th edition. Man gets life sentence in 50-year grudge killing. Now here was the story. On January the 31st, Norman Johnson, who was 72, answered his door when the doorbell rang. And the man on the other side of the door, Carl Erickson, who was 73, asked him what his name was. When he said his name, he pulled out a 45 caliber pistol and he shot him at blank range and killed him instantly. At his arraignment, here's what he said. Erickson said, I was going through the neighborhood where I knew he lived and I was ringing the doorbells. And when he came to the door and I thought it was who it was, I asked him to identify himself and I shot him. Why did he shoot him? Over something that had happened in high school. Over 50 
years, this man had carried a grudge and had carried animosity and anger and resentment towards somebody that had hurt him. And he allowed that strained relationship to cause him to kill. Now, we don't do that physically, right? But we sure do that emotionally. We sure do that psychologically to people. And when we do, we are not hurting them nearly as much as we are hurting ourselves. Because, because resentment and bitterness has a way of perpetuating the hurt in our hearts and in our lives. So what do we do? And how do we respond? I'm going to give you two things this morning that I think are both um, profound and yet two things that we, we often take for granted. The first one is really pretty basic, but I'm going to drill down on it for a few minutes today because you're not going to hear this anywhere else. In other words, people outside of faith aren't talking about this. You're not going to see this in media. You're not going to hear this in your circle of influence. You're not going to get this, for the most part, anywhere else in culture and in society, but you'll get it through faith and through God's Word. And here it is. Choose forgiveness. Choose forgiveness. Now that seems so simple. But it is not our reaction when there is a strain in our relationship, when we've been hurt by somebody. Our first inclination is not to forgive them. It's again to get even with them. But here's what the Bible says in Romans. Chapter 12. Verses 17 through 19. Don't mistreat someone who mistreated you. But try to earn the respect of others and do your best to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, don't try to get even. Let God take revenge. Now, that tells us what our part is, but it also tells us what God, God's part is. So let's start at God's part. God says this, I'm going to settle the score. Every single scorecard will be settled at the end of the day. We don't have to worry about it. We do not have to wonder whether God is going to hold accountable people who have wronged us, and whether they have done it intentionally or, or unintentionally, whether they've done it on purpose or on accident. God will sort out the motives. And God will, end, at the end of the day, take care of settling the score. That's God's part. What's our part? Our part is to do our very best to honor what God says and not mistreat somebody who mistreated us. Not be unkind to somebody who has been unkind to us. Can I give you this morning two very compelling reasons that we ought to forgive everybody who has wronged us? I'm going to give you two very compelling reasons. I've actually already given you one. And that is that, that unforgiveness destroys you. But let me give you two more. We should forgive because God has forgiven us. Now I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. Because there are some people here today who don't feel forgiven by God. You don't, you don't see how God could ever forgive you for what you've done in your life. You don't feel forgiven 
Perhaps you've made a conscious decision not to accept God's forgiven forgiveness. But listen to what I'm about to say. It does not change the fact that God has already extended His forgiveness to you. It's there. It's available. It was provided when Jesus Christ came to represent God and His kingdom. And He said, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And for the brokenness of the world. And I'm going to give my life so that man can be redeemed back to God. And so that mankind can be in right relationship with God. You and I have God's forgiveness. Period. We've been forgiven. And that's why Colossians tells us this. Colossians chapter 3. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you also must forgive one another. I like that. Make allowance. There are things in life that we just have to overlook, don't we? We have to give the benefit of the doubt. We have to give people second and third and fourth chances. We have to assume they didn't mean it when it happened to us, instead of assuming they did. Even when they did mean it, we have to say, you know what? They're a broken person. They need God's forgiveness, but so do I. We should forgive because God has forgiven us. And let me give you another very compelling reason why we should forgive. We should forgive because someday in the near future, we're going to need forgiveness again. We're going to need God to forgive us again. We're going to need somebody else to forgive us yet again. I've been around long enough. I've had enough relationships. That I don't have to know what you have gone through and specifically how you have been hurt and the strain in your relationships to know that all of us experience them. This past week, I had somebody ask me for forgiveness. And when somebody asks me for forgiveness, my response is typically the same. How can I give you and offer you any less than what I myself have received? How can I not extend forgiveness to you? If I've been forgiven. Now, mind you, they, they ask for forgiveness by text. Can I just simply say, there are some things you ought not text, okay? Okay, text is probably not an appropriate way to have confrontation or to ask somebody to forgive you. I'm glad they did, but please, please, pick up the phone. Let's do it face-to-face, right? There's, there's appropriate ways for us to take care of that. But it hasn't been too long ago when I've had to ask for forgiveness, That's why the Bible says this in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured back to you. I'm going to confess something to you today, but please don't judge me. I like to cook. I don't like to shop for food. I don't like to prepare it, and I don't like to do dishes. But I do enjoy cooking from time to time. In fact, my wife and I have done it a lot more recently together as a couple. And sometimes when we're out, we'll eat a dish and I'll say, honey, we can do this. We can make this. I know these ingredients. And we'll go back and we'll begin to master that particular recipe until we figure it out. Now, here's what I've learned about cooking. 
cooking is not so much about having the correct ingredients as much as it is putting in the right amount of those ingredients, right? Go ahead and try to, to do a cake when you don't measure the salt or you don't measure the flour or the baking soda, right? If, if you do something and you don't put the right amount of stuff in, you're not going to really enjoy the recipe. This is a recipe right here. This is a recipe for forgiveness from God and for how we extend forgiveness to one another and how we enjoy God's grace in our life. Do you want a recipe for living successful? For knowing how to be a free person? There it is. Now here's the question today. How much forgiveness is too much? When it comes to the recipe of forgiveness, can you ever put too much in? Can you ever give too much forgiveness? I don't think so. And I think that's why Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel. After he teaches us to pray, he says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. There is a correlation, friends, between how we respond to others and how God responds to us. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if there's one caveat to what I've just said to you, it's this. God makes it clear, we must be forgivers if we want to receive forgiveness. It comes to God in direct correlation to how much we forgive. Now one day Peter comes to Jesus and he, he actually asks him that question. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me every day? Same offense. Should I forgive this guy seven times? And Jesus responds and he says, no, I tell you, forgive him 70 times seven. Let me do a little math for you. What Jesus was saying was, I want you to forgive that person for the exact same offense 490 times in a 24-hour clock. For those of you that are tomorrow morning that will go to your jobs and you'll work eight-plus hours, that is one forgiveness for every minute on the job with some extra to share, some extra left over. It means that we've got to have an attitude of forgiveness. It means regardless of our environment, regardless of what others have done to us, we've got to walk in forgiveness. Not for their sake even, nearly as much as it is for our sake. Because it frees us. And there's one other aspect to this that I want to give you today. Because it goes hand in hand with it. We've got to choose forgiveness. But listen to what I'm also about to say. We also need to trust and look to God for our healing. We need to look to God for our healing. When we are hurt by strained relationships, I think many times we look to other people or to the other person to help us to heal. One of the greatest causes of stress in our life is expecting other people to do what they are unable to do. Nobody can love you unconditionally 24 hours a day. Nobody. I don't care how wonderful you are. I don't care how easy you are to live with. Nobody can make you happy 24 hours a day. Nobody can meet your needs 24 hours a day. God did not create us to depend on human beings to do what only God could do. And when we expect other people to do for us 
what only God can do, we're going to be left terribly disappointed because people cannot do what only God can do. So we've got to look to God for our healing. And I think healing comes as a two-process thing. We know this physically, but we often don't think about this emotionally and spiritually. When, when you are injured, uh, when, when there's an accident, you have to have surgery. There are two stages to that healing. The first stage is simple. Lay down, be quiet, don't say a word, be still. you got to get better. You undergo surgery, anesthesia, you go to recovery room, you don't move. But it doesn't take them too long. And what are they saying to you? It's time to move. It's time to get up. It's time to do something. It's time to get out. It's time to use that part of your body once again. You know where a lot of people get stuck? Is they get stuck in the be still and know that I am God. But listen, God wants to move us into action. You know, who, you know the name of those people that do that? They're called physical therapists. Some of you may be a physical therapist here today. You're one of the least like people in the world. You know why? Because you make us hurt. And physical therapists are trying to get you. What are they doing? They're trying to get you well. But in the process of getting well, they're causing you pain. Sometimes God causes us pain. And God says, you got to do this. you got to get up. You've been still long enough, but now it's time to get moving. It's time to get exercising your faith. Because I want to use you for a ministry to other people, just like Roger did today. I want to use you to be a blessing to other people. And so God says that's the first part of the stage, but the second part is moving. And the second thing about this healing process that really comes only from God is that even after you're completely healed, completely well, you will always have a scar to show for the pain. On my right hand, I've got three scars. I've got a scar in my wrist. I've got one on the side of my hand. I've got one right in the back of my hand. When I was a kid, my sister was chasing me and the door didn't swing outward. And when I hit it and I was going for the handle of the door, I hit the glass and I put my hand right through the glass. And every time I look at these scars on my hand, I'm reminded, yes, there was a moment of pain. There was some discomfort. But you know what I'm also reminded of? I'm reminded that God created us to be healed. God created our physical bodies to be well, to be healed. And every time I look at that, I've got a choice to make. Same thing emotionally. Every time you look at that, that hurt in your life, you can choose to relive the pain and the hurt. Or you can choose to say, God, thank you for the healing. Thank you for the scar. You see, we have this, this misnomer that somehow forgiveness means we're never going to hurt again. There's never going to be pain again. That's not true. Forgiveness is a decision. It's an act. But healing is a process. And it's a process that can only come by God's grace as He begins to apply His grace to your life and to your heart. One final verse as we close. Psalm 147. Here's what it says. God heals the brokenhearted and He bandages their wounds. When my kids were little, and my kids got hurt and they fell down. It really didn't make a difference whether there was any injury on their body, whether they had a scar, whether they had a, a cut, whether there was any uh, rug burn or brush burn or stones in a wound. It didn't make any difference. If they came up 
our kids wanted a Band-Aid to feel better. We just always kept a collection of Band-Aids. And when the kids got a boo-boo, what did we do? We put a Band-Aid on. It'll make it all better. Here, there's a Band-Aid. Now, we all know that when you get a small cut, you don't need a Band-Aid. You don't need to bandage the wound. But when you got a deep wound, when your child falls off of a piano bench and it hits them on the forehead and gashes their head open, a little Band-Aid isn't going to do. You need something more. When the Bible says that God heals the brokenhearted and God bandages our wounds, listen to what I'm about to say. The deeper the wound, the more bandaging you need. Some of you are here. And you carry some deep wounds. Some things in your past. Some strained relationships that have left some deep scars, some deep wounds. A divorce will do that to you. Um, A parent who rejects you will do that to you. A partner in business who was dishonest and took your business out from under you will do that to you. They will leave a wound that is so deep that only the God who heals broken hearts and bandages wounds can take care of because no person will ever fix that wound. But God can. And today as you sit here in this auditorium, as you're preparing mentally for this week, Some of you I know are walking into some pretty uncomfortable circumstances and situations. But but listen to this this morning. God wants to bring the healing to your heart that only He can bring. And God asks you to do one thing. Forgive. Forgive and release and let it go. And God can then begin to do His work in your mind and your heart. Bow your heads and let me pray this morning for you and with you. The Lord will help us as we think about the stress that comes from our strained relationships, that God will help us to respond the right way in an honorable way to Him. I've said this so many times to so many people, you cannot control what people do to you. You cannot control what people say about you. But there is one thing you do control. You control you. Your mind, your attitude, your heart. Father, I pray today that you'll help us with your help and with your grace, help us to respond the right way, an honorable way to the hurt that we feel. We have strained relationships and many of us, we've been, we've been wounded deeply. And it's not going to help to ignore it and it's not going to help us to run from it and it's certainly not going to help to cover it. It's not going to help to get bitter and resentful. What you call us to do is to forgive. To choose to forgive. And to choose also, God, to look to you alone for the healing that can come to our hearts and our minds. People are not going to bring it to us, but you can. And so I pray today, Lord, that you'll help each one of us to walk before you in a pleasing and an honorable way to walk in forgiveness so that we can be forgiven by our Heavenly Father. Help us, God, I pray, to be reminded throughout this week that we're called to forgive not just once or twice, but 70 times 7. And for some of us, we need that kind of grace with people in our lives who are difficult. But we pray that you'll help us. We thank you for it, and we pray your blessing upon us as we move from this day forward, applying the truths of your word to the steps of our life. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more, check out gracecrossingchurch.net. To experience Grace Crossing Church in real time, we meet on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 1153 Beaver Valley Road in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks and have a wonderful day.